Those that have their Bibles will be reading Romans chapter 14. You can read along with me. Romans chapter 14. And it reads, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may be eating anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who despises the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while the other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convicted in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God while the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to the end, Christ died and lived again, that he may be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather make, but rather decide never to pass a, put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and persuaded in Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you are no but what you eat do not destroy the one for whom God died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as of evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of drinking and eating but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit whoever that serve Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding do not 
for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not for faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Thanks, Marlon. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are a God of love. You're a loving Heavenly Father. But you're also a God of truth. You're also a God of justice. God, we get confused sometimes to know how to act upon these things, Lord. When to be too lenient, when to be too harsh. God, we're such imperfect vessels, but you are a perfect God. So Lord, continue to work your transforming power in us. Continue to work your transforming power through us, Lord, as we draw close to you. God, we pray right now for this moment that as we enter into a, a, a further glance at this deep passage, Lord, that you would draw out understanding for us, that you would instruct us, and that you would transform us because of being with you and in your word. So teach us, Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Good morning again. Welcome again to Cuyahoga Valley Church, those of you who are here in person, as well as those of you who are watching online. You know, my uh, birth father was an alcoholic. My stepfather is an alcoholic. And so needless to say, I grew up with alcohol having a negative impact on my life. There are memories that I have that I wish I didn't. There are memories that I wish I would have had that were stolen because of drunkenness in my upbringing. And as a teenager myself, I flirted with alcohol, uh, mostly due to curiosity or peer pressure. But by the grace of God, man, I've never been drunk a day in my life. I've been tipsy, but never drunk. And I feel like I just dodged a bullet in my life. But as I uh, started entering those late years of high school into my early years of uh, young adulthood, I, I started growing in the Lord. And my relationship with Christ just took off. I just caught fire. And one of the outcomes of my growing faith was I took a very legalistic stance with alcohol. I think it was a combination of my theology and my past pain collided together. And so it got to a point, I looked at all the verses that were anti-alcohol in nature, and I, and I looked at those verses, and I dismissed the other verses in Scripture that could be used to support uh, maturity and moderation in use, and I just focused on the ones that supported my personal view at that time. And uh, being a native Californian, just a couple hours away from Napa, <laughs> and being surrounded by a lot of other Christians that had been walking with the Lord longer than me, eventually I started becoming at odds with some of my Christian brothers and sisters, because I would go over their homes or go out with them, and they would feel the freedom to have a glass of wine with dinner or maybe an you know, alcoholic beverage of some nature, and I would get so offended, just offended in those moments, angry at them. Like, how could you? But I also had some mentors in my life, men and women of God who loved me, and they knew, where I was, they knew what I was going through at that time. And when they would come around me or I would go to an event with them or I would go over the home, they would sacrifice their freedom that they felt 
to maybe have an alcoholic beverage in my presence because they knew what it triggered in me. They knew what, they, that they knew what I would be wrestling with in that moment. And so for the sake of love for me, they abstained. They walked in love with me. Because as we start to study this, this love of God, a love of God for us that transforms how we love others, we start to learn that love sacrifices, love does not impose. And that's really a life message for us today. We've been spending all this time in this incredible book of Romans, and we've looked at some deep theology, and we've understood a little bit more about the mystery of God and how he works out salvation for the souls of mankind. And we're seeing that we can be made right with God through belief and faith in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sins and his resurrection from the grave. We've learned how to be made right with God through that belief. But we're also, as we've been seeing over the last weeks, that when we're made right with God, we also learn how to be made right with others as well. And we learn how to walk in love with others. And so as we look at Romans chapter 14, some of the verses that Marlon read for us, that's really the prevailing thought of how can we walk in love? How can we learn to, to embrace a love that will sacrifice at times instead of impose? And that's really where we're going today. And so we're going to look closer at Romans chapter 14, which at first glance might look like a TV script uh, for a reality TV show called, you know, Vegans vs. Carnivores, um, but it's not. There's a deeper issue of walking in love that we need to learn together today. So I invite you to look back again at Romans chapter 14 with me. And as we think about this concept of walking in love, we see this. We walk in love when we welcome others without arguing over opinions. And I want to say that again with you, and I want you to emphasize this word with me. We welcome others without arguing over, what's the word? Opinions. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over, oh, what's that word? Opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Who is this person that's weak in faith? This is not a Christian who is weak in doctrine. This is a person who, they're at a place in their spiritual maturity where they're still struggling to learn how to live out their faith in certain decisions and certain conduct. Some of it might be uh, really shaped by tradition or, or religion, and they're trying to flesh out how to make decisions as they're living for Christ, and therefore they're still in a maturing process, but they're a little bit weaker than those who have accelerated or been in it longer as they've been walking with the Lord. And if you notice here, uh, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this book, is not criticizing the weaker person. He's not saying they're a Pharisee. He's not saying they're legalistic. He's talking about someone who's having a genuine, sincere struggle, learning how to live out their faith in certain avenues of life. And so we are called to welcome others who are in that place spiritually. And by the way, if, if you're sitting here going, that sounds like me, welcome. <laughs> you're in a place of safety and comfort because we're all trying to learn and grow together how to live out the conviction God's put in our hearts. But in welcoming one another, we're not to engage in arguing over opinions. And this statement is not about doctrine. It's not about the essential truths of God's word. You understand, the, the context here is the Apostle Paul is zooming in on an issue in the first century church. 
Because if you look at the first century church, it was comprised of converted Jewish people and converted non-Jewish people, Gentiles. And these people with two different backgrounds, two different religious upbringings, two different religious influences were now coming to a common table of faith in Christ. And there were tensions and there were awkward moments based on, you know, well, you shouldn't be eating that, well, you shouldn't be eating that, and all that stuff. And of course, what we see is the, the Jewish believers coming out of a background with the unique dietary law found in Leviticus 11 that God put in there to help make the, the, the is, is people of Israel distinct and unique. They had all these dietary laws. And so these believers in Christ now realize, well, we're not under law anymore, so yes, technically we can move away from some of that. But some of their other Jewish brothers weren't there yet. They weren't feeling that freedom. You've got some of these Gentile believers coming in. A lot of them, you know, this was written to Christians in Rome. A lot of them, uh, their, their meals, their food, the meat they might have bought in the market might have been sacrificed to a pagan, you know, God in, in, a, in an act of worship. And, and so some of them are like, man, you know, where'd you buy that meat? Did, was it sacrificed by an idol? You better check into that. And others are like, I don't know. I just bought it in the market. What matters? I cooked it and now I'm eating it. And so you had people in, that were coming with this kind of baggage, this kind of you know, information to the table to try to have common fellowship. And some of the fellowship was being disrupted because they were arguing over the opinions of what they should or shouldn't be doing in these areas. And so what happens in that moment? What happens when people come to the table of faith and some are stronger and some are weaker? Do the stronger impose their liberty upon the weaker? Is that what they're supposed to do? What, what happens in these moments? And God is saying, no, the stronger out of the heart to walk in love with the weaker brother sacrifice. They lay down the freedom they have to not make it awkward. In the non-essential issues, this is not, again, doctrine. These, these aren't the bigger issues. We, we know that as followers of Christ, we stand firm and we stand strong, and we stand lovingly on, on deep doctrinal truths and essential core issues. But these are things now that we're talking about that fall outside of that realm, things that we tend to argue about that might be more opinion-oriented in nature. This is conduct that, that might be in a non-essential way. So just to help bring clarity to that, let's just, let's just hone that in a little bit. What are some of the truths? What are some of the essentials? What are some of the scriptural things that we see God speak to? Like you open up the Bible and God says, I don't like this, don't do it, or it's okay to do this. What, are, what do we see in scripture that God's clear on, that there's no mystery? Here's just a, a sampling. Uh, we see that the worship of anything other than God is a no-no. That's clear. If we love anything or anybody more than God, that has become an idol in our life. And, and God is opposed to that. We see that murder is something that we're not supposed to participate in. So we know that, that, that that's why we're pro-life. We're pro-life because you look in God's word and God knows us before he made us. God knows us before we were even in the womb. God fashioned us in the womb. God says don't murder. So therefore abortion is murdering babies. Therefore we're pro-life because God's not silent on the issue. He speaks to the issue very clearly and repetitively in his word. Um, being drunk, talking about alcohol, being drunk is a no-no. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk. God's clear. He didn't, you know, he didn't waffle on this. So don't be drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, we can take that same tr uh, principle and transfer it to, to being intoxicated under the influence of any substance. So it would apply to being high. Look, if you're taking a drug, you're under the influence of something else other than the Holy Spirit. So, so we know that that applies to that. God's not silent on these issues. Of course, we've got the sampling of the typical things that we know about. God's not down with us stealing and lying or being envious or gossiping or being arrogant or causing division. 
These are things that God's not silent about in his word. He speaks to them. And so we stand firmly, we stand boldly, and we stand lovingly on these issues because God's not silent. We look, we look at um, uh, God's design for, for marriage. Anything, any sexual activity outside of God's design for marriage, which is premarital sex, having sex before you're married, all right, homosexuality, when you look at adultery, you look at um, pornography, those are outside of God's design. He's not silent on this matter. And so we turn to God's word. And if we got issue with any of those things, you got issue with God, not with the people that are just repeating what God said. And so we stand lovingly and firmly on that. But these are not the issues that he's talking about. These aren't the opinions that he's talking about. Think about what he's talking about. He's talking about what people are eating, what people are drinking, what days they're worshiping on. These aren't the core issues and essentials. So what are some of the other issues? Because we're sitting here going, well, we don't live in the first century. We're not in the first century church. We're not trying to feel, you know, when I go to dinner, I'm not feeling tension with any of my uh, friends over dietary laws, you know, based on whether the meat was, you know, sacrificed an idol or not, or, you know, none of that's in play. So what is in play for us? What do we find ourselves posting online and arguing about and disputing about on other areas? Well, here's just a sampling of some of those things that would be tradition-oriented or non-essentials or preference or opinion-oriented that would fall in line for us now here in 2015. Uh, worship music style in the church that you're at, right? What clothes you wear, baptism modes, the elements you use for communion. Like today, you know, we, we participate in communion. Some people are like, well, that bread, that shouldn't have been the bread you use for communion. Really? Why? Based on what Bible verse, you know? Um, how often you take communion, things like that. Political affiliation, Hot button nowadays, right? Your political affiliation is not a core Bible-oriented thing. It's going to reflect what you believe, but it's not what we argue over. Playing cards with someone, the kind of car you drive, listening to secular music or Christian music or the rating of movies you go to or whether you choose private school or public school or homeschool for your kids or whether you're smoking or dancing or the length of your hair or the color of your hair or whether you have hair or, you know, putting a hat on your head, um, tattoos, piercings, having alcoholic beverage at your meal. These are all the things that we find ourselves disputing about that are opinion-oriented. And we see principles in Scripture that give us leanings one way or another, but, but this, this is the things that we shouldn't sit and argue about and damage each other over. And here's the danger. Here's the danger on all these things. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we make these things a bigger deal than they really should be in our conversations with other believers. And we start to turn following Christ into a thing of externals rather than that which is eternal and that which is internal. Following Jesus is not about making sure we abide by an external code. The external code will align itself with what God is doing to us internally. And that which just matters eternally. That will affect that. And so th this is a lot of times what you see the Pharisees were doing in the New Testament. They were saying, you've got you to wash yourself from the outside in. You know, act this way and then you'll change. And we know that's not the way God transforms us. God transforms us from the inside, right? And works it out. Some of us are so dissatisfied. We're like, why am I still fighting the sin? Why am I still messing up? Why am I still struggling in this area? You know what? God's working his power and transformation in you, and it's working its way out. You will have victory in Christ. You will have victory in Christ in the areas he wants you to have. But you got to be patient. You have to be diligent. You have to be committed 
to let God's transforming power work its way through your life. And as we're doing that, we welcome others who are at different places in the path. And we sacrifice some of the liberties that we may feel personally as we're in a certain place spiritually. And we don't impose our liberty upon others who are in a weaker state. That, that's what the spirit of this message is. You know, a great guiding principle that's been out there for years is in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Meaning walk in love. Well, how do you know where you're at in this situation? Well, here's a couple questions you can ask yourself to sift where you're at. You can ask yourself, do I find myself being argumentative or divisive over non-essential issues? Well, if you do, you need to grow in learning how to walk in love. Or maybe you need to ask yourself, do I find myself standing firmly and lovingly on essential issues? Maybe you're all love, no truth, and it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. No, God does have an opinion on certain things. He is very clear on certain things, and so we, we want to be loving but also firm as well. You can ask yourselves about that. Secondly, we walk in love when we surrender judgment to God. Look at Romans 14 again. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We all have convictions based on where we are at in our relationship with God. We all have them. What happens is we start to find ourselves in a judgmental state of mind often. We've all been there. Let's just confess. We've all been there. Some of you there right now, you're judging me for talking about some of the stuff already, you know? We've all been there. But we cross the line when we start to impose our judgment on the lives of others in these non-essential areas. You know what's silly? is when we impose our convictions on others who don't even know the Lord. Think about how silly that is. You're not acting right. You don't know the Lord, but you're supposed to act like you know the Lord. Really? Like we shouldn't be in shock when the world acts like the world. But what happens is, as this passage is addressing, it's when believers in Christ start finding themselves judging one another. And this, of course, is the weaker brother starts to judge the stronger brother and starts to, to find themselves in a, in a bad place in their heart. And so we start to impose that judgment in a very unloving, uncaring way in these non-essentials. Now, we've got to be clear about something. Because this whole, like, don't judge thing becomes, you know, this banner or this card that we all play when someone confronts us. It is biblical. God is not silent on this issue. It is biblical to lovingly confront a brother or sister in Christ if they are in unrepentant sin. Bible's clear. That, that, that if, 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 if you're out there and you know what, you're cheating on your husband or wife and another brother and sister in Christ knows about it, they have every right by the power of Scripture to come to you and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Man, you, you made a commitment, you made a covenant, you made a vow. What's going on? And they do it lovingly, but they do it boldly because they love you. They're not trying to police your life. They're trying to say, man, what, what are you doing? There is room in the Christian family, the Christian body, for gentle, loving confrontation based on violations of God's word and unrepentant sin. So let's not fool ourselves. But that's not the topic right here right now. It's the non-essentials. It's, it's, it's the things that we, we argue about that really don't make the big difference or God is silent on or that tradition or opinion have informed. 
And so we need to let God be the judge. We can all breathe a big sigh of relief from having to be judged or feeling the need to judge others because God's got it covered, right? God's got it covered. We all are going to rise or stand before the Lord on our own. I mean, look at verses 10 through 12 again, Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you why you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Just think about the Lord sitting up there going, okay, you're down there and you're arguing over whether you should really have that stake. Really? Man, you do what the conviction is in your heart. If you don't want the steak, don't eat the steak. If it causes you to sin, it causes you to stumble, don't eat it. And if you feel the freedom to eat it, but you know it's going to cause an issue for them, you know what? Show your strength by abstaining from it. Like, that's the issue that God's, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're eating, you're drinking. These are the issues. We're all going to stand before God. What a sobering thought. We're all going to stand before God and have to answer for ourselves. I am not going to have to answer for you. You are not going to have to answer for me. The person next to you right now, you don't have to answer for them. And they don't have to answer for you. You have to answer to yourself. Now, it affects how we're in relationship with one another. How I handle my relationship with you is something I'm responsible for, that I'm going to be accountable for. But we're all going to stand before the Lord. And so by trusting God as the judge, it frees us. It frees us from operating in condemnation it frees us from operating in, in judgmentalism where we feel like we have to police other people's lives and these non-essential issues. No, we surrender judgment to God. So walking in love means we surrender ultimate judgment to God on all issues, especially these non-essentials. How do you know if you're, how you're doing in that area? Simply ask yourself this question. Do I find myself often judging other Christians and non-essential issues? If you do, maybe you'll learn how to walk in love a little better. Thirdly, we walk in love when we live our convictions for God, not for people. These convictions that we have, who's the target? Why do we live according to our convictions? Is it to make the person happy? Well, you know, my wife's strong Christian I am, so I guess I better just do this for her sake. Well, that's not a bad thing to do. But the proper thing is like, no, my convictions I live out because of God. Look at, look at verses 5 through 8 with me in Romans 14. One person esteems one day as better than another. Now, now we're not just on to things to eat, but also days, right? This is, these are issues that they were struggling with in that time based on the Sabbath or certain holy days. Um, you had one group of people saying, hey, these are special holy days. If you missed out, you're really not with the Lord. Others were going, every day is holy. God made every day, so every day should be a holy day, not just those one, not, not these one days here and there, you know? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Amen to that. So really the heart you see here is that these convictions that we feel and, and whether we feel the freedom to do something or whether we feel like we're not there to do something, our, our, our heart's aim is conviction based on the Lord. 
Is this something that's going to be pleasing to the Lord? Is this something that, that I'm acting upon or not acting upon because of deep conviction from God? And so it's, it's not my flesh. It's not the opinions of other people. It's not, is this person going to be happy with me? Or are they going to approve of me and my decision making? It's, is God going to be happy with you? Is God going to be uh, approving of your decisions and choices that you make? That's why it's so important to be in God's word because there's a lot of people out there going, oh yeah, God's happy with this and God's happy with that. And you're going, that violates scripture. No, he's not. It reveals our ignorance of God's word if we say God's happy with the decision that clearly he's spoken and he's not. But we have to let our convictions be to the Lord. And so what's, what's kind of sick and ironic here is you had these two groups of Christians at the time, whether it's a, a certain holy day that they were worshiping on or a certain meal that they felt good or you know, bad, they were doing it unto the Lord. They, they either partook out of conviction and freedom or they abstained out of conviction and freedom all for the Lord. So they had this mutual desire to be living out their convictions for God, for Christ, not for another person. And so therefore in the same manner, and it's, it's not about what's on the plate, it's the motive of the heart. It's not about what day you're doing something or not doing. It's the motive of the heart. It's not about whether you're wearing denim or polyester or what the emblem is on your car or what your political affiliation is. Those aren't the issues. It's the motive of the heart. And that we're living out our convictions for Christ, not for other people. So walking in love means we live our convictions for God, not for others. If you want to know where you're at on that, here's a great question to ask yourself. Do I find myself living my convictions to please God or to please other people? And if you find yourself living out your convictions to please people, go back and say, no, I need to learn how to please God. God needs to be my target, not people. Fourthly, we walk in love when we don't damage others with our actions. Our, our relationship with Christ doesn't give us a license to abuse or to be insensitive. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Some of you are going to have fun with this at lunch today. I just know it. You're going to be eating lunch with somebody and be like, I'm just totally offended by what you're eating. You're not walking in love with me. But really, this is this whole concept of if you know the other person is doing harm to their heart somehow, that motivates us to sacrifice, not, not impose our freedom, because it's doing damage. Look at verses 20 through 21. Do not for the sake of food, and you can almost say, you know, because I want to taste that, eat that, because I would if I want. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink, eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Man, this, this whole concept of destroying the work of God, like what's that a reference to? We're not talking about eternal destruction. We're not talking about destruction of the soul here. This is destroying the, the ground that this person has gained in the relationship with God. And so maybe this person is growing and then we as a stronger brother or sister in Christ start to interact with them and we feel certain freedoms and liberties, but we're being insensitive to them. And we kind of have a get over it attitude or maybe we just don't even care that it bothers them or we're not attuned to their heart. And so we start to participate in certain things that we, you know, we listed before. In the meantime, they're really struggling. And so we've got to learn to, to learn how to care for their heart better, 
to, to sacrifice some of the freedoms that we have. And so if we don't, it can destroy some ground. It can destroy, they can start to feel guilty. They can start to feel shameful. And when I say destroy, it means that maybe they, out of their convictions, they're gaining grounds, but now they're with you and you're stronger and they don't feel like they should be doing what you're doing, but out of pressure or whatever, they go against the conviction of their heart and participate. And then they can feel guilty. They can feel like they sin. They can go backwards. Um, which will produce them being less effective for the Lord, which means they'll be less fruitful for the Lord. Like, this is kind of the domino effect that happens when sometimes we make simple decisions that can damage others. And so are we sensitive to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ and where they are at in their spiritual journey as they're growing in the Lord and making sure that we're not damaging them with our freedoms? I love what Pastor John Piper said on this. It's brilliant. He said, just as the weak in faith are not self-exalting in their abstinence, so the strong in faith are not self-indulgent in their liberty. Because both sides have error. Both sides have arrogance and insensitivity in them. And we, we strive not to be that way. And so is it necessary for us to eat certain things to demonstrate our strength? No. Our strength can be demonstrated by sacrifice. Our strength can be demonstrated um, by, by releasing. I mean, think about it for a second. We've got the Son of God. We don't have to look any further than Jesus himself who sacrificed his heavenly dwelling to come down here to be with us. I mean, think of what he sacrificed when he left to come be with us. And he sacrificed and held back his power to allow mankind to crucify him. He, he didn't have to let that happen. He could have stopped it in a second. And he sacrificed. He didn't impose his majesty and his strength and his power in his earthly ministry. He held it back. Why? For our sake. For our sake. What if Jesus would have chose not to do that? Where would we be? Where would we be with the Lord? Where would we be without the cross? Where would we be without the resurrection? We'd be in bad shape, right? Jesus demonstrated this very principle of sacrifice for the benefit of others. And so we need to echo that in our own life I like what Jonathan Dotson, uh, the speaker we saw in this video a minute ago, and he's coming in, in a few weeks to preach and also to talk about the unbelievable gospel. And we're going to, I hope you all have marked October 24th and are going to be here. There's going to be hundreds of people here as we have this training on how to have gospel conversations with people in different faith systems. And, and what he said about this whole principle was, since we belong to another, we aren't out to prove ourselves right to seek power over others or to force other people to believe what we believe. That, that's imposing. That's not sacrificial. And so walking in love means we don't damage others with our actions, with our freedoms. How do you know where you're at with that? Maybe you can ask yourself this question. Do I find myself damaging relationships with others because I'm too judgmental or insensitive? And if you find that the answer to that is yes, then there's growth in how to walk in love in your life. Lastly, we walk in love when we act in faith, not flesh. Look at verses 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If I feel the freedom to have liberties to do certain things in my Christian walk that maybe some brothers and sisters don't, I'm not sinning if I sacrifice and withhold. 
But if I have convictions in my heart that I'm not supposed to do certain things, but then I'm out of pressure or, or someone imposing their beliefs on me, find myself into them, then it's going to feel like sin to me. And it's going to lead me to a bad place. And so I need to make sure that whether I'm exercising my freedom or whether I'm withholding my freedom, it's, it's motivated by faith, not, not by my flesh or by someone else's flesh. Now, uh, we've got to be careful here with this word freedom because there, again, is this excess. We can all of a sudden find ourselves going, well, pfft, I'm free in Christ to do whatever, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and buy and sell and use illegal drugs because I'm free in Christ. Well, seriously, when I, you go back to Ephesians 5.18 where it says don't be drunk but be filled with the Spirit, you're obviously you know, violating God's word there. And so you, you're using this word freedom for manipulating something that's really about the flesh. And God, God uh, knows that. You can't sneak that one past him, Right? And so we see in 1 Peter 2.16, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Again, back to that, God needs to be not just the one that we um, are living for, but the one who approves of what we're doing. And by the way, if you find yourself saying, I've got freedom to do something, but you can't stop doing it, somewhere along the lines, your, your freedom, your liberty became slavery. Because if you can't stop, you're not free, you're enslaved. And you're falsely using the freedom of Christ as something that's not accurate to that situation. And so we see that both indulgence and insensitivity are found in flesh, not faith. And so we need to keep coming after that, which is, look, we, we receive Christ by faith. We daily walk in Christ by faith. So therefore, the conduct, the decisions, and the behavior, and the choices we make, it's going to be a thing of faith. That we know that the Lord has spoken to it, or that there's a biblical principle that allows or doesn't allow it, and we operate in freedom. But we use that freedom in a loving way with others around us. And so walking in love means we act in faith, not in the flesh. If you're not sure, here's a good evaluating question to ask yourself. Do I find myself accurately discerning my freedoms as either an act of my faith or of my flesh? But if you were to take that, take all that we've just talked about and summarize it together, here's what we really understand. Here's that life message again. That love sacrifices, not imposes. We understand that. Now, here's what I'd like to challenge you guys to do. I want to put all five of those points up. Now, the likelihood is that some aspect of all five of those stepped on our toes some way, shape, or form. But there's probably one specific one that maybe God impressed on your heart is like, that's really a struggle for me. This, this one I'm really weak in. I really need to learn how to walk in love stronger in this area. Um, do I welcome others without arguing over opinions? Do I surrender judgment to God? Do I live out my conviction for God, not for people? Do I damage others with my actions? Do I act in faith or flesh? Like, here's my challenge. If, if you've got your notes, you should take notes, circle the one that you feel the weakest in right now. If, if you haven't taken the notes, you can take this moment out to write down or type in your device. Which one is it that you feel weakest in, more cha most challenged by? My challenge to you is to take that one this week and prayerfully try to grow in that area. Lord, help me to surrender judgment to you. God, when I'm finding myself in moments where I want to judge other people, God, speak to my heart and remind me that I'm not the judge, you are. 
God, uh, uh, Lord, help me to, to live out my conviction for you, not for people. Lord, I'm feeling pressured to do something or not do something right now. And God, you know where I'm at in my heart. Lord, help me to stand on my conviction for you, not feel pressured by others. Whatever that area is, prayerfully engage it for this week. Now, a little icing to the cake of application here. Some of us have damaged relationships because we've either been too judgmental or too insensitive. Maybe God would also bring to your mind and heart right now someone that you need to reconcile with because you've done that. Maybe one of the outcomes of this time that we spent together today would be you going to that person saying, I need to come to you and I need to ask your forgiveness. I was very insensitive to you. I felt the freedom to do something that made you uncomfortable and because of it, there's a rift in our relationship and fellowship right now and that's on me, not you. Would you forgive me, please? Or maybe you need to go to someone and say, you know what, I was being way too sensitive about an issue. You felt, you felt the freedom to do something, and I'm just not there yet. And so I caused a rift in our relationship because of where I'm at, but would you just forgive me for that judgmental mindset? We're, we're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and I don't want to break our fellowship over this issue. It's not, it's not essential. It's not essential to the faith. Guys, the, the world's watching us. The world wants to know what followers of Christ are going to do with all the crazy stuff happening in this world. And we're not doing ourselves any favor, and we're not making the bride of Christ look any more attractive by just fighting with each other over silly little things. And the thought of first century church people fighting over what they're eating or not eating, what day they're worshiping on or not worshiping on, we go, man, how silly. We're doing the same thing, aren't we? And you start looking at the Facebook feeds and social media feeds of people and going, we do the same thing. We just, over little things with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you agree with me that we can all learn to walk in love better? We can all grow in our ability to walk in love more. That's what God wants from us. And if you're here today or if you're watching online and you're not even in relationship with Christ yet, I've got two things I'd love to say to you. First is this. Man, on behalf of any Christian that's hurt you, I I say I'm sorry. If some follower of Christ out of a zealous love for you and your soul just was insensitive or imposing their faith upon you in such a way that offended you, damaged that relationship, I'm sorry that that happened. But secondly, please look past the flaws of the messenger and don't disregard the message. Because there is a God who loves you. And there is a God who has a way that is best for you to live. And he's made that way known. And there's a God who wants to spend eternity with you, who's, who's taken the sin that is in your life and removed it by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. And when Jesus did that, he gave an all-access pass for you to come in faith and believe, to come in repentance and believe upon Christ. And so maybe for you, your, your, your goal today is to dismiss the failures of the, of the messenger and listen to the message that God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you, and, and you can make a decision to follow Christ. And if that's you, you can even pray something like this. You can just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in genuine belief that you love me and want me to be free, free from sin, free from fear, free from eternal punishment. I believe that my freedom was purchased by Jesus on the cross and proven by his resurrection from the grave. Today I turn from trusting in myself to be made right with you and place my trust in what you did through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, man, we just ask you to pray something like that, genuinely, authentically to the Lord. And if you do, would you let us know? Would you fill out that response card in front of you and say, I'm giving my life to Christ. I want to learn to walk in love as Christ has intended for me to live. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father. God, thanks for the reminder, not always a comfortable reminder, Lord, of areas that we need to grow, of areas that we need to improve. 
And Lord, I confess there's been times I've not walked in love. I've either been too judgmental because I was weak in that moment. Or God, maybe because in my strength I was insensitive and I took liberty and offended my brother and sister. God, would you forgive me for that? God, would you forgive us for that? Lord, may take to heart what you told us here. As we try to love one another, we can learn to sacrifice liberties at times for the comfort, for the welfare, for the growth, for the benefit of our weaker brothers and sisters. God, help us to to make the bride of Christ attractive to those who don't know you by being people of love and unity, Lord God, not squabbling over non-essential, crazy little things. So God, take our lives as gifts, as tools for your glory. God, take these very gifts we're about to receive in our offering and use them, Lord, as gifts and tools for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen.